Once you reach the top of the mountain, keep climbing. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sawson behind the scenes. This quote leads us into our guest today, Bobby White. Bobby is the owner of High Power Performance, where he works on melding the skill acquisition and sports performance part of basketball training, where he works with elite level basketball players on really leveling up their game holistically. And one of the really cool things that coach talks about, and if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you're probably not shocked we got into this rabbit hole, but really it was the psychological approach to training. How can we get our athletes obsessed with training? How can we get them addicted to training? And he talks about how once that happens, once you have that light bulb moment really come on with your athletes, you don't really have to do much as a coach. He, he talks about he has a 40 inch, he has an athlete that has a 40 inch vertical and he's like, once that athlete becomes addicted to jumping higher, addicted to becoming better at basketball, he's going to develop that 40 inch vertical regardless because he's going to be so obsessed with the training aspect that goes into it that he's going to find the answers. But Bobby dives into how do we get athletes obsessed with training? How do we get them engaged with what we're doing? How do we really understand why they are showing up the training in the first place? What what do they think we can provide? Why? He tell you he had a really cool line about how athletes will drive past 100 trainers to get to him. And he really wants to understand why that is. And once you listen to the coach's story, you, you'll understand why. He had a phenomenal story and how he's able to grab pieces from his story and apply it to the sports performance world and apply it to his athlete's life. And he, he talks about always being there for his athletes, not just in the gym, but in life. It was, it was a really powerful podcast and one of the really cool ones that we talked a little less about the actual nuts and bolts and a little bit more about life and what kind of really matters in the sports performance field and taking care of the intent, taking care of the psychological piece with your athletes first without eliminating any of the sports performance things, without eliminating any of the shin angles, without eliminating any of the force outputs that we want to talk about and we want to work on. We're not eliminating those things. We're not talking about how they're not important. We're talking about building the foundation first, building the human person first, and then applying these things. And it was a really cool light. It was a really cool story. I hope you guys get a lot out of it. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, You'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with the Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Marcus, you know what time it is. Hit that intro music. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. Well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we were just chatting a little bit before, kind of talking about uh, 
our kind of gym setups right now. I was mentioning it's like we on this podcast, we're going to talk about sports performance a bunch. And on Instagram, you see all sports performance stuff, but kind of the back end of the sports performance and all the stuff that kind of goes into it and just having a great conversation about that. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it's, it's not all about, you know, what we're doing with our athletes. It's how can we, and if we're, if our hope is to provide the best service for them, that back end stuff is crucial. And if we don't have the back end systems and everything automated and all this stuff that you only learn through messing up, right. Uh, your mind's going to be elsewhere. So, so to have the back end, the facility, the, the billing, the membership, all that type of stuff that nobody sees, if that stuff's not dialed in, right? Your head's going to be elsewhere. Your focus is going to be elsewhere and you're not going to be able to give everything you have to your athletes. So I've learned it the hard way. You know, I had some awesome mentors, you know, that I worked under first and did this and I kind of saw what they did and what I wanted to do. But, you know, the best way I continue to learn is by uh, failing, messing up and uh, learning from it. But now my whole goal is efficiency from training athletes, from training basketball players and the athletic performance side and the skill development side. I want that efficient. Right. And then everything from when you walk into my gym to when you leave my gym and when you sign up for a membership, I want all that automized. Automized? Is that a word? Whatever. We'll keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. And that that's uh, that's one of the things because that's why I love talking to coaches like yourself. It's like. I feel like I'm in the process of messing things up and learning all that stuff. And I get to talk to you and just get to hear kind of your process of messing things up and going through the process to where you're at today. And that's kind of what I want to touch on a little bit is kind of your background story. So a lot of listeners will recognize your name, they'll recognize your Instagram page and they'll kind of see where your gym's at today. But what was kind of the journey to, to get to where that gym's at today? What was kind of the journey that led up one to get into the field of sports performance in the first place and two to kind of really get to the, in a sense, the mountaintop that you're on now where people are looking at you as that efficient gym, as that, that kind of set gym that they're looking up to. Yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a wild one. It's been a bumpy one. It's been a sad one uh, going way back. I, I was a, I was not only a failed athlete, you know, I, I was a failed human. I was, a, I was at one point a completely broken human and a lost human where, uh, you know, I got into the partying stuff. You know, I was always, I was, I played all sports growing up and then I, you know, I was, I was a kid that was never going to drink, never going to do drugs, never, you know, I was walking a straight and narrow path. And then I kind of made the decision one day that I wanted to fit in more than I wanted to walk that narrow path. And, you know, the whole time through high school, I was still playing sports. I got pretty good at basketball. I was getting recruited for all that. But I also fell in love with partying and what that day did for me short term, which was fun and that feeling of acceptance. And I started really chasing that. And I kind of lost sight of what was important to me and what became the most important thing to me was fitting in and, and being accepted by other people. And when my focus became that, I started chasing what you wanted me to be rather than what I wanted to be or what I was born to do. And it, it didn't happen overnight. In the beginning, it was fun. I still got to, you know, I, instead of a division one college, I ended up at a division three college and I can, you know, tell them my stock stories of injuries and mishaps and all this. But ultimately I didn't have the mindset, right? I didn't have, I, I didn't have what it took mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, however you want to look at it to, to really believe in myself. So I could always work hard. If I was at practice, my dad, my dad was a catcher and ended up being a football player, ended up being the captain of the Syracuse crew team. And if you know anything about crew, you know that you row as hard as you can and you row harder. My dad's awesome. He's my best friend of the, to this day. He was in my wedding. He was my best man in my wedding. And so he, I knew work ethic and I knew how to do that, but that didn't always translate to competition. It never translated to competition for me. I had glimpses of greatness when I was in, you know, playing AAU ball and stuff like that, where, you know, I had a longer leash and a coach that, 
you know, believed in me, right, or pushed me and told me to shoot the ball when I caught it, I did great. But the second I'd come back to a high school setting with the, you know, the high school fans and my friends and, you know, all that different types of dynamic, I, I would melt down or I would end up trying to play like the tough guy where, you know, I'm going to show you how tough I am rather than how good I am at basketball where I'm banging people around. And that completely took my focus from being a, you know, a beautiful basketball player to this guy that was going to, you know, run people over and, and focus on that rather than playing the game. And like I said, this whole time, my partying was kind of progressing because, I you know, I wanted I wanted to have stuff to do on a Friday night. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be part of that thing. We hear that all the time. And then by the time I got to college, you know, I was experienced in, in that realm. You know, as hard as I worked on the court, as hard as I worked in the weight room, you know, I was partying just as hard on the side. And uh, make a long story short, I ended up getting injured my junior year of college, uh, herniated disc. And at that time, you know, I was up in the middle of upstate New York, uh, Utica College, uh, kind of middle of nowhere, not much going on. And I lost basketball and then kind of partying took over. And uh, I, uh, I got I got sick. I'll put it that way. I got sick. I, uh, I, I everything was led from drinking to other substances to this. And I battled that for a couple of years and that turned into a uh, opiate addiction and that turned into a full-fledged heroin addiction where I was robbing my parents, robbing anybody I could to support my addiction and basketball and all this other stuff got pushed to the wayside. And um, again, there's a lot going on. So I'm trying not to go all over the place, but uh, I'll get to now the the best thing that ever happened to me, right? Rather than go through all the war stories, because I don't know if you ever talked to anybody who's dealt with addiction or all this, but the, you know, the, what actually happened in the stories is different, but the, the, the root of it is the same. You know, I had this brokenness. I had this feeling that, you know, I wasn't good enough or I wasn't capable of this or, you know, I had this kind of hole in my soul. And rather than filling it with positivity and for me now it would be God, Christ, all that type of stuff. I filled it with, you know, what can I do to make people like me, you know, and that. So the best thing in my life that ever happened was I got caught. My mom caught me stealing from her and um, she kicked me out of the house. And at that time, I, I, I didn't know what to do, but. I knew I had to get better. And by getting caught, right, prior to that, I I didn't want to be doing this anymore. It's not like I was this, like, this awful person that wanted to steal from my mom. I wasn't this awful person. I was a sick person. I was a broken person. And I had this physical dependency on a substance that led me to do bad things. But I, I, I didn't want to be doing that. And it was all a secret. And um, getting caught, the secret was out, right? And now I could finally get better. And I had some other things happen. But I, I ended up completely changing who I was surrounding myself with. I ended up at that point being completely broken. I was able to start new. And what I did was I reached out to not only people that I knew had similar struggles in the past that had turned their lives around who helped me big time, but I also reached out to who I, two people that I looked up to more than anybody in my life. And that was my trainers when I was in high school, when I was trying to get a division one scholarship and all this stuff. And on one end, I had the, uh, athletic performance side. And on the other end, I had a skill trainer. I reached out to both of them for the first time. And I kind of just asked for help. I said, listen, I, I don't know what else I'm into, right? I, I like to work hard. You know, I, I love sports. I love basketball. I love working out and uh, kind of sent them both a heartfelt email, what I have to do. And they, they outlined in the whole apprenticeship thing and uh, went through it, got a couple of certifications and started down that road. And uh, on the athletic performance side, like, my trainer, he was uh, Eric Degatti. He he was responsible he, with uh, for the New York Giants uh, movement assessments for nine seasons. He was with them with a couple of surf, uh, uh, Super Bowls and all that. And you know, here I am, 25 years old, you know, trying to get my life together, coming you know 
former heroin addict, all this. And within a couple months, I get through his apprenticeship. I read all these books. I start getting mentored under him. And then I'm in the Quest Diagnostic Center, you know, with Eli Manning and Odell Beckham standing over my shoulder. And I'm, I'm like, it was just this mind, like, you know, but to sum this all up, it, I finally found it was okay to ask for help to be like, you know, I don't really know what to do. You know, I need help. And when you do that, right, when you don't try to act like you know everything, when you don't try to just keep everything in, when you go and ask people for help, most of the time, people want to help other people. Like today, if anybody comes to me with anything, right, I'm going to do what I can. You know, sometimes I got to, you know, stay focused on what I have and can't get all over the place. But generally, anybody reaches out to me that needs help, I'm going to do whatever I can for them. And I found that to be the case with a lot of people. So now I'm working for these trainers and, you know, I, I took a lot of good from them. And I also took what they did wrong. We joke about it today that I got to kind of follow in behind their mistakes and not make the same ones. But after working for Eric, who I mentioned doing all the stuff with the Giants for about six months, he sat, he had seven full-time trainer at the time and uh, sat us down and said, I don't want to run the gym anymore. You know, I want to go be a trainer. I want to go do the stuff I am with the pros and do all this kind of stuff. And he's big with FMS, traveling all over the country, uh, certifying trainers in that. And he's like, you're going to have to start your own business. And we and we got a plan together where the seven full-time trainers kind of incorporated themselves and we shared the space. And at that time, in the back, in the back of this warehouse facility was a dance studio, like a spin studio, maybe 500 square feet. There were mirrors on the wall and this. And I would go back there and work on my handle. And I'm, I would look in there from time to time and be like, I think I could put a hoop in here. But it was like, it was literally like this tiny dance studio. And I was, I was scared to even ask Eric if I could do it because I thought he was laughing. But now that he's out of, out of there, I'm like, there's nobody stopping me now from putting a hoop in here. Right. And I did it. And now this vision kind of came together where I love basketball. I love working out. And I saw that nobody does both. Nobody trains the entire basketball athlete. Right. And now, I put this hoop up in there that I thought I was going to get laughed at. And now I had a space where I could train athletes both on the, on the court, working on skill acquisition and also in the weight room, working on performance, whatever you want to call it, you know, and my vision came together and my dream has been to marry the world of skill development with athletic performance. And I've studied under phenomenal trainers in both regards. And I kind of got, I don't know if it was necessarily laughed at, but, you know, people try to point in a direction of being an expert in one thing, right? Be an expert in basketball skill acquisition. Go be a skill trainer. Or be an expert in athletic performance. Go be a strength trainer. And I was like, well, I want my expertise to be in the basketball athlete. And that leads me down a rabbit hole after rabbit hole of following, you know, some of the top strength trainers in the country, reading their literature and then getting into, you know, skill development literature and reading all that kind of stuff. And I've kind of just done my best to absorb both worlds and now create a product, right, where a basketball player can come into my gym and I'm going to offer him what I feel is world-class athletic performance training as well as world-class skill development. And it's been it's been eight and a half years now since I got my life together and I've moved around a little bit. Um, uh, a couple of cool experiences I had, uh, like I said, I, I got to work with the Giants pretty early on when I had no idea what I was doing, but that was, that was a sweet experience. And then a couple of years later, um, through networking, I guess doing a good job, I had an opportunity to move to China and uh, be a head strength coach for a professional team out there. And uh, I kind of, they reached out to me and two weeks later I left. It was literally like, I had no idea what uh, what the heck I was getting into, but I ended up moving out there for six months. And it, it was uh, it was daunting to say the least. I, and at that time, 
I had gotten so busy with no kind of business acumen where it was like, I was doing a lot of private sessions. I was a slave to, you know, my clients. I was showing up here working. I worked seven days a week for countless hours for about four years leading up to that, giving everything I had. I didn't have time for family, didn't have time for girlfriend, didn't have time to party, didn't have all this time. I put everything I had into my clients. And what that led me was, you know, getting four or five hours of sleep a night, waking up at 5 a.m. to go train people in the morning and being in the gym till 10 or 11 p.m. and night training basketball players after they get out of school. And I was completely exhausted and I didn't know what to do because I didn't want to let anybody down. And then I had this China experience pop up and I was like, not only is it going to be a heck of experience, not only am I going to you know, be somebody that went and just completely removed themselves from their culture and submerged themselves in another culture, dealing with language barriers and, and, and training you know, professional Chinese basketball players that don't speak my language, but it's going to give me a break because I knew how I was running the business wasn't sustainable and I was getting burned out. And when I left, I said, when I come back, I'm never going to get that busy again. And I'm going to have to figure out a way to uh, structure the business differently. And I did that. And I came back and I hired people. And I went from a private model to a small group, semi-private model where I can still give my athletes, you know, individualized attention, but you're going to share the time with, you know, four or five other athletes. And uh, yeah, I'm not really sure where I went with any of that, but uh, that's kind of what I do. And now I, uh, I'm, I'm running the gym. I got a couple employees and uh, I got a lot more free time and, you know, it's not, I, I'm pretty pleased with my life today. Coach, that's fucking awesome. I, I, I that, that story. Um, I radiate with that really well. Uh, when I when I was a junior sophomore, the reason I kind of got into the sports performance world is I was in the in the party scene, not not like totally immersed in it, but I was in that party scene. And the first person that kind of pulled me out was a strength coach, a sport coach, in the same regard of pulling me out of that situation, telling you, "Hey, dude, like this is who you could be, and this is who you're being," and then opening that up light, kind of that light in your life for the first time. And I'm like that was the first person to kind of do that, that kind of set those expectations to kind of show you that light. And it was like, oh, okay, like, that's what I want to do with my life. Like I want to light that up for other people. And you talk about the power of a trainer and that that's one of the things that, and we'll get into the sports performance part again. Like we're going to dive into all those pieces. I really, I geek out about that, that the, what is important, but we talk about all of that all the time. And it's like, truly what is the power of the trainer? Like that the power of the trainer, the power of the coach, the power of just in person to another person is that ability to light up that light for them. You know, like if you texted those two coaches and they didn't text you back, like where would your life be now? You know, like how, how much different could have that event, but because they text you back, because they set you up in that kind of regard, look, like, look what it led to. Like that is the stuff that, that truly like gets me fired up when I hear people like you talk about that story. Yeah. It's like that, that's the kind of the power of all we all have to have with other people that we're interacting with every day. And you have no idea. That was one of the cool things for me is like, I told my high school head coach after, after I graduated college, like the story of how, like one of his text messages totally changed everything that I did. And he didn't remember sending the text. And that, that's, that's like the interactions. Yeah. Like you have these interactions all day long that could completely change somebody's course of their life. And many times you, you're are, are you like, are you paying attention to those things? Right. And that's where my journey of being kind of a, a flawed, failed human being athlete, right? I remember those conversations and I remember how important these guys were to me. Cause even when I was doing stuff outside the gym, that wasn't good. That, that experience I had in the gym of being pushed, having guys tell me the truth, get me, I got results. I mean, I ended up, I was a heck of an athlete. I really was like, I was, a, I was a very good basketball player. I just never was able to bring it all together. Right. I had the athleticism. I had the tools. I had the work ethic. I just didn't have the complete package where I could transfer it to the performance. And I would, you know, I kind of went through that. But those guys were people I looked up to more than anybody else. And just 
the just just being an intern for them was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm I'm not, you know I'm not there, but I'm I'm on the right path, right? I'm around people that I looked up to. These are my favorite humans on earth, the people that helped me when I was in high school, and now I'm side by side with them. And that was such an uplifting experience. And now I remember that, how important they were to me. And now that's my job is to just keep that cycle going. And now, you know, we can, again, I can geek out over the, you know, the, the modalities and all this type of stuff. But the most important thing to me is I had a couple of kids I trained come over to my house last night. I lived near a lake and we went swimming, right? And they ended up eating dinner with me and my wife, right? Or my, my workout group, I got a couple of my buddies. We work out three days a week outside where we sprint work mechanic starts and we end up swimming and you know i have kids dropping in at they come 7 30 a.m high school kids to come run sprints with us and swim with me and a couple of my like you know idiot friends and like it it extends beyond the weight room it extends beyond the court where yeah i hope they become great basketball players i hope i you know could put 12 inches on a vertical jump but ultimately i want them to know that you know i'm here i'm here when you come into my gym i'm there i'm gonna do everything i can for you to get you better but outside of the gym i'm here you know, with whatever you break up, addiction, whatever, parent fight with your parents, anything, right? I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And I think that's the message that I try to convey at all times. That not, yeah, I guess that. I mean, that's it. I'm here. You know, what do you need? And I'm interested. So you you, you brought up the because I, I hear this talked about a lot in just having conversations with athletes. Is, is they you mentioned that hole in the soul, and they they mentioned that, and you you have these conversations with people that kind of feel that same feeling, and they describe it in a very similar way that you described it. And you you talked about how getting caught was something that that was powerful for you because that was kind of the the, the like oh shit moment, I guess. But what was the 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 hole in the soul moment of like, how were you able to go about filling that a little bit with with the sports performance to where you have the energy you have today to where it seems like that that soul is kind of let less of hold like you, you're in that process. Like, what is that kind of like? Because that's a conversation I have a lot with the athletes is is they bring it up in a very similar route. Like there's something missing. There's that piece. There's that whole yeah. like, what was your journey to kind of figure that out? It's work. It, it, it doesn't just for me anyway, it wasn't it wasn't one light bulb that oh. <laughs> I'm healed. Oh, I'm fulfilled. Right. It's a daily grind. I don't even like to, I hate the word grind. It, it, it's a daily practice of what am I filling my soul with? What am I putting in? Who am I surrounding myself? What kind of information am I letting into my brain, which end up going from my brain to my heart? Am I filling it with, do I, do I practice gratitude? People hear the word gratitude, right? That that's an action. I can practice gratitude, right? I can, I can look for things that I'm grateful for, or I can look for things that you know, bring the spite out in me. I can, I can compare myself to other trainers on Instagram or other people on Instagram, you know, they got the Ferraris and boats in Miami and this and that. And I'm a better trainer than this guy, but look at him. Why, why is he so successful? Why he doesn't deserve the confidence he has. Right. And I can quickly go down those rabbit holes where I have to set up guards for myself where every day, you know, I, I have a morning routine, you know, I, I do things that are important to me every single day that I know are going to fill that I, I'm still broken. Right. I, I believe all humans are flawed. All humans are broken to some extent. And it, it's how we try to fill that, you know, how we try to mend that brokenness. And for me, it comes back, you know, it's, it's hundred percent. I don't know where you come from or what your background is, but for me, it's always about being centered on with Christ. And uh, I don't, you know, we don't need to get into all that, but that's, that's the source of everything I have. And that's the source of everything I do. And that's how I try to model my life. And uh, if I'm not filling my soul with that, you know, bad stuff's going to creep in. 
you know, and I've dealt with mental health issues and I've dealt with, I've, I've seen things, I've heard voices, I've been, I've, I've gone seven days without sleep. I've put things in my body that nobody should put in their body. And that that's there, right? But, you know, today I can be an example of somebody that lived worse than you should possibly ever live, right? I can, I, I have that. I'm not regretful of it. That's in my past, but I've discovered ways to overcome that where now I'm not just you know, somebody that used to be a drug addict and isn't anymore. I'm somebody that used to be a drug addict, but now have, you know, look what I, you know, it's not, it's not look at me, look at what God has done for me. Right. And look like that. I mean, it's not hard for me to find motivation, right? I'm having a bad day today. And it's because like, you know, it, uh, what am I focused on? Uh, you know, we don't, uh, we have, you know, X amount of members when I believe we should have this amount of members. Right. And I, I just, and, and that can rabbit hole into all these other things that I, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at things with the wrong pair of glasses on, right? When I can shift that to, you know, eight and a half years ago, I was stealing from my parents. You know, <laughs> I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have a job. I was, you know, unemployable. I, I, my, my whole existence was, you know, watching Netflix by myself getting high, right? And that, that for me, you know, now I have an opportunity to, to really just be there for any kid that walks through the door. And by being, oh, I feel like today, you know, people try to lead with their strengths, which I'm proud of my strengths. I'm proud of, you know, the service that I offer. I'm proud of who I am today. But rather than leading with that and put, look at me, you know, look how great of a trainer I am. I will put 12 inches on your vert, guarantee. Look at like, you know, I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I'm, awesome. I'm like, you know what? I'm broken, right? And I lead with the weakness rather than the strength. And that's that's something that... So the very analytical side. So I, I would consider myself, I call myself this all the time, like a woo-woo-y guy. Like I'm into the spirit, I'm into the soul and trying to tie that into really what we do in the sports performance world. And I, I talk about this stuff a lot and I, I love having coaches like yourself, like Dr. Tommy John, where they are really talking about this stuff. They, they, they're talking about their journey. They're talking about their soul. They're talking about how to tie this all in. And that's what I'm interested in. How do you tie some of these life lessons and some of these things where you're talking about like, putting things in perspective, putting that focus on being grateful, practicing gratitude. How do you kind of apply that to the world of sports performance where you you have, let's say, the hour with your athletes? Is it just being around them and practicing it yourself and having that wear off on them? Is there any intentional focus there? Is there anything that you're doing and just telling them life stories throughout that? Like, I'm just very always interested in trying to make um, my very woo-woo-y mind into like kind of the practical side of things and trying to apply it with our athletes. Yeah. I mean, th there's different games I can play with people, uh, in, a in our first session, like I get to know your game where I'm trying to find out what's truly important to them. Right. Where I, it's pretty much, I just ask you what's important you know, a whole bunch of times and we end up getting some surface level stuff, like scoring 20 points a game or being a McDonald's all American to down where, you know, I want to buy my mom a house someday and, and I can find out what motivates people. I do that sometimes when I'm having some trouble connecting with people. Sometimes I don't need to do that. And we, we just get a free flowing relationship where kids open up and talk to me. But one of the, one of the, uh, best piece of advice I ever got was uh, another mentor of mine on, on the business side. And he's like, the more you know about somebody, the more you can help them. Right. So I don't care if it's a, you know, a third grade girl walking to my gym or some pro, you know, coming in the gym. I, I, I learn about my athletes. I learn about them. I ask them questions. I, you know, and I, I've, uh, you know, I, it's not always, you know, a system, but I, I remember, you know, I, I have an ability to remember 
pretty much everything I do with my kids or everything they say. And, you know, once I learn about them, once I can figure out what makes them tick, once I can figure out why they're really there, because a lot of these kids drive an hour to see me and they probably passed 400, you know, a hundred trainers on the way that they could have went to, but they decided to drive an hour to train with me. I want to know why, what, you know, what answer do you think I have? Or why are you, why did you drive an hour? Why did you drive five minutes to train with me? Why are you here? I want to know that. And not just what, like, well, I want to score 20 points. No, but there's something more than that. I want a college scholarship. There's something more than that, right? You believe I have some answer, right? I don't know if I have an answer, right? But once I do know why you're here, I can start to formulate that. I can start to kind of narrow my approach on athletes. And whether even in a group setting, you know, I try to give everybody an individual touch, right? As many as I can. So if I have eight kids on the court and we're doing a skill workout, I have these and I have them all written down for my interns and people that come down, but I want every kid to get as many t- personal touches as possible. We're not just focused on one where maybe it's during a water break, you go over and, and, and just start a conversation, give that kid a personal touch where he's getting to learn that he's important and he's as valuable as the next person in there. Yeah, that, that that's awesome. And I've been diving into kind of the intention piece behind the training and when it comes to intention, like you can't have intention behind your training and focus in your training without really knowing that why, like you said, like that 20 points, it's like, all right, that's a goal. But what, what is the reason for that 20 points? You know, is it 20 points to, you, you want to make your parents happy? Is it 20 points to impress this? Like trying to dive into that. And I, I think that's super, super powerful because like you said, it, that, if you, if you look at int- uh, intention behind the training, like it drives everything. So if, if you can increase the intention by understanding why they are physically there, like the, the, the physical, the sets and reps, like whatever, like whatever behind it all is going to be so much higher. If you are able to get that athlete in the, in the most basic sense, like bought into what we're doing, because you actually understand why they're there. It's like, it, it's not the 20 points that that's the overarching goal, but it's really this. And now you can have that conversation with them. Yeah. Cause as long as you're, you're, your value is in 20 points a game, your value is in a 40 inch vert, you will never be happy, right? That's great. You, you get a 40 inch vert, that's awesome. I'm proud of you. But if you wake up in the morning with a 40 inch vert and look in the mirror and you hate what you see, right? That's an issue where that was me, right? I put, I, I put my, you know, I, I put who I was, right, in, these abilities to jump high or get strong. I got strong. I could jump high. I could shoot a basketball. I could drill a basketball. I had all these things, but it never filled, you know, that void I had. And that's got, that's shaped who I am as a, as a person, as a human, as a trainer, as a coach, as a, whatever I have, a husband, right. That these experience of me messing up, me failing me, you know, this is I, I really why I'm successful. Cause I, I, I didn't, like I've uncovered it. I've done work on myself. I've surrounded myself. My, my friends today, they tell me the truth, whether I want to hear it or not. And I don't want, if I hire employees, I do not want yes men. I want people to challenge me. I want people to call me out. If I'm being lazy and I'm at, I, like, I need that. I need people around me that, you know, are competitive, that are truth tellers, that are going to, hey, I don't agree with you. All right, good. Let's talk about it. And, you know, I've become this person that shied away from confrontation that would hate because all I wanted was acceptance. Right. So if I all want acceptance, I'm not going to have any difficult conversations with anybody. Right. Now I've completely switched that 180 to where I, I look for that. Any relationship I have, if there's not some type of friction, that relationship fails. Right. I look for friction with relationships because that means we're growing. Right. If, if I'm not arguing with. Uh, not arguing, but if I, if I don't have some type of, uh, with, let's use my employees or even kids I train, if there's no friction, there's no growth, 
right? And that's what I look for, where it's not like I get scared of a, a, a hard, a difficult conversation. I know these difficult conversations are what I get to get us closer because we're going to overcome this and talk. And now I'm more often than not the one that's going to push that. No, we don't need to get mad here. I can stay calm, right? You don't, uh, no, don't get emotional. Come on, we don't need to get emotional over this. And sometimes it's one of my friends telling me the same thing. Hey, you know, we don't need to get emotional over it. Let's talk this through. And that is, I mean, if you can do that with your athletes, right? Where, you know, I'm telling, I'm trying to get this, per, this kid to do this, right? And if he's going to fight me on it, right? Now, I might need to reframe, like repaint this picture in his head where a kid's missing jump shot, missing jump shot, missing jump, he's getting emotional, right? This is, this is the progression, right? Kid misses jump shot. Oh, I stick at shooting. All right, misses next shot. Um, I'm horrible at basketball. Misses the next shot. I, I just suck at life. Misses the next shot. I shouldn't even live. Like, and that, and that's where it goes. And it all started with that first reaction to that first miss. If I can cut that off, right? And I point things like that out. Where now we're talking about bringing it all together, right? The skill aspect, right? The performance aspect, the movement, the mobility, with the emotional, where you miss. That's all it is. It doesn't need an emotional response. It doesn't mean you're a bad shooter. It's just a miss. That's all it is. You can learn from that as much as you can learn from making it. So rather than having an emotional response to that miss, maybe start to, to, to get more in tune with who you are, what you felt. Did that ball come off the side of your finger? Maybe you didn't focus right. You know, maybe it's not even a skill issue. Maybe it's not a form issue. Maybe it's a focus issue. That that's that's fucking awesome, Coach. That, that I, I just that popped up. It's like the the why behind the failure, not the worth behind the failure. Almost like it's like not defining through there. Um, that yeah, I I'm, I geeked out about that. I just wrote a thing, but I, I didn't mean to bring you on and grill you with psychological questions for like a whole hour. That that, that was just like that little rant. Has it been oh. an hour? I don't even. I just talking. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what's going on. And I didn't mean to do that, but I want to. You, I want. I do want to get into some of the the sports performance aspect side of things before I get too woo woo with all of this. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're wearing a good drill shirt and all of your posts, yeah, yeah. You, all of your posts have good drill on there. Uh, and I think that's fuck, really awesome. I'm interested in know if anybody knows why I think it's funny or why I do good drill. I was with one of my trainers. I'm like, I'm just going to start writing good drill because I, I, I would, there's a couple sides to it. The one is a good drill. A lot of drills are good. There's a million good everyone. Hey, do you have an exercise that is going to put or whatever, make me jump higher. Hey, what's the best, what's the best drill for, getting first step speed. What's the best drill for jump shoot? There is no best drill. There are, there's a lot of good drills out there, right? There's no, there's no magic wand drill that is going to turn. And it's different for everybody, right? The magic wand drill for you might be different than the magic one. Maybe there's not even a magic wand drill, right? It, go figure it out, right? Go, go do some drills. Go actually start learning about yourself, right? I can, I can buy any program I want online and it, some will work, some won't. But ultimately it's about me putting in the work, right? Where it's not as much about what the drill actually is, but the intention behind it. Get on the path. Take that first step. My other saying is start yesterday, right? You want to become a great jump shooter, right? Go start by just getting in the gym, shooting the ball, right? You get really obsessed. With, we can use anything. You want to be fast, right? Start getting obsessed with being fast. You want to jump high? Start by getting obsessed with jumping high. Because if like any great athlete, any great jumper, any great whatever, they got obsessed. And that's a common denominator. After that, the way they got to being a great jump shooter, being a great jumper, being a great sprinter, being a great basketball player, being a great football player, right? It started with the obsession, right? And then they never faltered. Or maybe if they did, they got back quick. And it, they kept, again, like I kind of learned in business from failing. or I learned to be a good trainer from failing. They just kept going. 
that's uh, I, that obsession thing. I, I'm very, I have a very obsessive personality. So I want to like, there was uh, after my uh, senior year of football, uh, I went to go, went to go dunk. I was, there was this high jumpers dunking at track practice and I saw them all dunking. I went to like go join them. I'm like, Oh, this, this will be fun. I squat way more than these guys. I'm like this, this should be good. I haven't really jumped before. And I jumped up and I barely touched net. I was like, Oh my God, like that's not good. And that right. just triggered a massive, massive, massive obsession with jumping higher. And for the next like six months, it was just jump, jump, try to jump dunk for literally six months straight. And it was like three hours in the gym, just randomly jumping, doing random things. And that obsession part, it's like, the training, like there, there was some good stuff that I did in training, like you said, but there was also some stupid stuff. I'm sure it jumped, like my volume yeah. was insane, but by the end of it, like I was able to dunk, like I got that journey and that, like you said, it all starts with that obsession piece without that. Like there's no, before I had just had no reason, like I was, I had no interest in it. Uh, and it was just a random spark of that obsession. So that's something that really took me down the mindset of how can you do that? Are you like, what are your thoughts on that? Are are you interested in getting athletes obsessed? Are you interested with working that with athletes that are already obsessed? Is there like, is there a way to get people obsessed? Is there a way to get that spark going with people? Is there a way to encourage that? Is that what we do as coaches is encourage that? Or do we just work with the athletes that are already kind of have that light bulb on and can't really force that with people? If I had the power to get everybody obsessed, right, I would have retired a couple of years ago, right? So there's, there, there's some people that end up, yeah, I, do I think everybody's capable of getting that? You know, I think we're talking about obsession, like a, a positive light here. Like, yes. I don't know anybody successful, right? That wasn't obsessive over the crap, right? But so, some kids can put it into basketball jumping high. And, I, you know, I have kids that don't last with me, but I, th there's something special about having somebody come in that, you know, doesn't have it and then seeing it click because of the, the culture I've created in my gym. And that's kind of what's happened today. What, you know, I used to be a lot louder. I used to be a lot more energetic. I used to clap a lot more. I used to, you know, bring all this enthusiasm every single session. And now I, I bring that out sometimes, but most of the time the kids do it because I, I stuck to my guns, right? Training, telling kids the truth where, you know, you, there, there's a way to work here and there's not. If you're not going to work the way we work, the way I work, you're not going to work in my gym. And that's okay. I, and I tell, I will straight up, this might not be a good fit for you. <laughs> My wife who runs back in the business has gotten pretty good with that. Turns to reach out and be like, uh, and, she, and she, I'll hear her on the phone. All right, that's okay. This, this might not be a good fit for you. You're free to go. You know, you don't have to trade. And that, that creates it, right? Because now, again, it, not that I've been training forever, but eight and a half years of doing things a certain way. I, I had parents reach out like, Bobby, there's a culture in your gym. And, and that helps because now I don't have to be the one motivating players to become obsessed they get around players that have it right so i have a kid come in that's never trained with me and if he's coming into a session with seven other college players in there right he's going to level up he's going to feed off their energy and he's going to realize that they're all making mistakes because I, my job is to create to get athletes to the edge of the ability and we can look at that from a strength perspective or skill perspective right to get into that flow state we want we need to have a challenge skills ratio right our challenge needs to be greater than our current skill set and that's my job is to get you right to that edge. And I, I congratulate kids when they mess up because they were trying something new. They dribble the ball off their foot. You know, obviously that's a little dangerous with strength stuff. I'm not, not that I'm, you know, trying to PR or do any of that kind of stuff in there. But again, I'm trying to bring kids to the edge of their ability. And now that's the culture in my gym. Yeah, You're here for an hour. We're going after it. And you talked about that like ball moment with the athlete. And I think that's one of the coolest things. I talk all the time about 
creating addictive, like addictive learners, you know, and how can you set up an environment that does that? And it, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to describe how, like why it's so important to do that. But one of the things that we use kind of, I like using in our gym anyways, this our kind of setup is like, we use like basic gymnastics movements. Um, and mm-hmm. it's so cool seeing like a kid, it's as basic as like teaching them a cartwheel and having like a group of guys doing a cartwheel and teaching them how to do a cartwheel. And when they do that first cartwheel, and it seems so silly, but they do that first cartwheel and it's something their body wasn't able to do before and now is. And that light bulb moment of the, like, almost like the, oh shit, okay, what can I do now? You know? And that's where it's like, when that hook happens, it's like, oh, like now it's on. Now, what can we do now? Where can we take this now? What can we do with our bodies in this session? And that's something that I think is is so powerful. like setting up that and something I've been really interested in. How can, how can we do more of, how can we continue to turn that light bulb on? Cause it's almost like, I'm sure you see it all the time in basketball too. It's like that. It's just the look in their face. It's like, okay, I did that. What now? Like, what else can we do? How deeper can we dive into this? How, what can I do with my body now with the basketball? How can, how can we make this move even better? So I think I can kind of circle back to where I, when I was, this kind of wraps it up when I was talking about leading with my weaknesses rather than my strengths by me opening up and saying, I'm not perfect. I mess up. I can't do a cartwheel. (laughs) You know, I can't do that. It's okay. Right. And, And you kind of remove that fear of, kids trying to fit in and be cool and be accepted where, you know, it's funny. I'll have like, a, a, I, I love the gymnastics warmups. I, I'm horrible. I can't do a cartwheel, but I make kids do cartwheels all the time. They're, if they listen to this, they'll find out. I was like, yeah, I can do it. I'm just not going to do it today. I've been <laughs> yeah. doing that for like two years. Yeah. I just, no, nah, I'm all right. And, uh, but I'll have like, you know, an 11 year old girl who's done gymnastics and she's banging out, you know, cartwheel after cartwheel doing a back handspring and a tumble. And I'll have a high school, like 17 year old boy, like, look at me. I'm like, all right, do a cartwheel. And he just shivers in fear, right? I, I can't do it. What do you mean? I love it. Yeah. And, and just making those, un- like making points to, to make those kind of funny, uncomfortable moments. We're going to walk through this. We're going to cartwheel through this. Yeah. We're not, we're not moving on until you at least try it. And I love the point of bringing, that's what I one thing. Like there's some people like that don't love the combination. And it, obviously there's so much difference between when you're working with that 13 year old girl and the 17 year old boy, but having the two different backgrounds in the same session has been something that's been crazy powerful for our gym too, because of the different abilities that provides you have that 17 year old boy that probably may, let's say he jumps through the roof or squats the house, like whatever. And you have that 13 year old girl watching that and that inspires her. She's like, okay, that that's like, look at that. Like, that's amazing. That's physically possible. And then you have the 17 year old boy who can't do the cartwheel and is watching this like amazing gymnastics, like type movement. And they're like, okay, she can do that. I can do that. You know? And then you kind of get that back and forth mending of like double inspiration there, which is really cool too. Yeah. It's awesome. And I'm interested in how you kind of, I want to know, like, just get into some, um, very concrete things. Like what does a session with you look like? Cause you talked about the mending of the the sports performance side and the skill acquisition side in the basketball arena. And when, when I watch a lot of your videos, it's, it's like you, you do a good job of kind of blending the strength, the strength in quotations with the, with the basketball arena. Like what, what does a session look like through you for you? If we're, if we're going to run through a session on today, obviously it's individualized and set up differently per day, but what does like a typical session look like and how are you combining all these things? Yeah, it's been, you know, eight and a half years of refinement and figuring out what works. Um, so anybody that comes in my gym, they, they have the option to do basketball skill training. They have the option to do strength training. You can do either one or both. Most of the kids end up doing both and we, and we keep the sessions separate. So I try to, I try to have it staggered, right? Where there's always an option. Let's say it's a 415 lift where that same. So I break my basketball classes up into skill levels, not by ages. So we have, Beginner, level one, level two, level three. Level three is all players that are 
not just varsity, but they're going to play in college and then down to level one. And I have it staggered where there's always a lift before and or after your skill session. Now, I, you, you, you probably on my social media, there's a lot more stuff on the court, honestly, because I find it more visually uh, entertaining. All right. My strength training, I keep for my basketball athletes as, as simple as I can. And whether it's a one by 20 or, you know, whatever it is, they, they come in. I'll, I'll go through the whole thing. So athlete comes in on day one. I try to get an assessment. It doesn't have to be on the first session because sometimes it doesn't fit. But I try to get some type of athletic assessment done within the first week, two weeks that he's in there. And I've been using the FCS, which is under the FMS umbrella. Are you familiar with it? Functional A capacity screen? Yep. So what the FMS everybody knows is movement. I, I don't really uh, I don't want to piss off any FMS people, but I don't really use their movement assessment anymore. Uh but I do love the FCS. I think it's awesome. Uh, so what it does is you're looking at motor control, which is your ability to balance, stabilize, and control your movement. So there's a lower body motor control assessment, which is an anterior reach, right? Seeing how you are on one leg, controlling your movement. Then there's an upper body motor control, right? After motor control, we go to postural control. And that's testing your ability to maintain your uh, integrity under load. So you give a kid 75% of their body weight, and they walk as long and as far as they can around two cones, 25 feet apart. So you're looking for distance and time. And they've created standards for all these. The next one after postural control is explosive control. Explosive control is testing your ability to create power one time. So how good are you against gravity? So we have a broad jump. We have a hands-on hips broad jump. You have a single leg broad jump on both sides. After explosive control, we have impact control. Now we're testing your ability to recycle energy. So you're using a double broad jump, a triple broad jump, and then a two-one-two broad jump. So you're, you're, you're hopping off two, landing on one, right? And now we're testing your ability to land, absorb, recycle, and get into your next jump. Now that's four things, right? So what I'm looking for there, like we said, the, the, the lowest rung on the ladder was motor control. If this kid can't balance and control his, like, control his body, I'm not worried about postural control. I'm not worried about impact control. I'm not worried about explosive control, right? We've got to do some, whether it's gymnastics work, uh, tightrope walking, uh, walking on two by fours, single leg, uh, ISO, the, the whole bunch of things. And I've kind of, it's kind of all built into my program now. Okay. Now he meets the criteria, right? He meets the standards for motor control. Now we're looking at postural control. If I put 75% of, uh, the kid's body weight in his hand, he breaks down after five steps. He's weak, right? He can't maintain the integrity of his, uh, posture, right? He's, he's failing again. If he can't, if he has no substance, right, he's got no control over his posture. Again, I'm not too worried about attacking thing, quote unquote, explosive exercises, right? I need to get this kid stronger. We need to get him being able to hold some freaking weight and put some strength on him, right? Then after that, how does he create power one time? And now all of these, I have breakdowns where it, if they don't meet the standards that I've, I've kind of, SES has their standards, but again, that's general pop standards. I, I train all basketball players to this point. So I've created my own standards on where the broad jump should be, where there should be. And then you're looking at also, um, so we're looking at all those different standards and then I can kind of there, it, it puts it all on a uh, app and it's going to show me exactly where the kid is at. And it kind of gives me a blueprint. And now my job is just to, this is it. This is where your motor control is at. This is where all the other uh, things are at. And now my job is to get that better. So at least we have a baseline. I also test their vert. Then from there, we put them into a program for a lot of the younger athletes. Now I'm using uh, you know, a modified version of a modified version of a one by 20, where it gives them a lot of, uh, you know, creativity within their workouts. And I, I've been using that a lot because for my, I'm going to call them, you know, some of them are great basketball players, but they're novices when it comes to being in a weight room, right? They, 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 they play basketball the whole life. And I don't, I've got kids that can 
you know, walk in the door and do a, you know, 360 windmill with Timberlands on, right? But, you know, I, I tell him to go dumbbell press, a, you know, a 20-pound dumbbell, and he's, like, falling over, right? So the, the one by 20 seems to meet those kids kind of well, and they can get it done in, like, 20, 30 minutes where I can use the other 20, 30 minutes for uh, whatever I want, uh, gymnastics, uh, things that are going to, you know, challenge their isometric work, things that are whatever they're actually that they're lacking. We can work on that. And with the the skill work, how are you going about, uh, you, you see a lot of the creative kind of stuff that you, that you're working on. What's kind of the skill part of the session look like? Is it, you start with creative just to keep it interesting and then, then you get a little bit more in depth with what you want to do. Like what's kind of your flow of the skill work tying that in with the weight room. So Again, because I do both, right? I, I believe that if any of my kids, it, let's say I only did skill work, okay? And now any of my kids, if they went to another performance gym and they said, I'm a basketball player and I want to jump higher, what is that guy going to do with them? Have them jump. Have them jump. Have yep. them jump. Have them put them on a Vertimax. They're going to, oh, jump. We're going to do box jumps. We're going to do hurdle hops. We're going to do uh, Vertimax work. We're going to do all these different jumping, whatever, maybe Olympic, all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting here, well, these kids are generally doing three to four skill sessions a week. They have two to three practices a week with their basketball team. And then they're playing between three and eight games on the weekend. How many times do you think they jump in a week? A lot. Yeah, thousands. Jump shot, they jump. Rebounds, they jump. Euro step is a jump. A layup is a jump. They are jumping and changing direction in their sport every single day. And now we're going to take them jump on a box or work on landing mechanics. They landed 7,000 times last week. And right. Like, what are we doing where now? So because I had, and this is honestly within the last couple of years, I was like, why am I jumping these kids? Right. We can keep that on the court. So I, you know, I've got my good drills on the court that are getting the kids jumping. And I, I, you know, I, I, I like varying the starting positions. I like getting them a cut, whether it can be laying on the ground, it could be back, whatever. And then making them jump out of, a multitude of different positions, right? Where, you know, maybe I start them on their knees and, you know, have some quick thing where they got to jump up and catch an alley-oop and dunk. Or if it's younger kids, I can lower the hoop and have them just jump up with the ball in the hand and try to touch the backboard, right? And it's, you know, I'm trying to keep, if, if I'm working on quote unquote explosiveness or jumping, I'm keeping the reps low, letting them recover, right? Where I'm not go jump 10,000 times, right? You're doing that already. Let's actually, maybe you're not getting a lot of max effort jumping. Maybe you're, you're a kid that's scared to practice dunking at the end of the practice because you're not that good at it. So let's create a nice environment for you that you can practice, create, and explore. Because that was me. I, I would practice dunking with my dad, but when I'm playing AAU, with all, you know, I'm a suburban white kid and I'm playing AAU with all these, you know, guys that are skying. I'm not gonna go get a like a you know weak little dunk off. Right? I'm not gonna do that at the end. I'm gonna watch, right? So I try to create an environment where you're not watching, right? You're getting after it, and uh, the kids that are good at dunking, they, they do it anyway. That's what they do. They go do it. Right. But, uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, I keep the weight room, you know, that's we're, we're working on capacity, right. However you want to look at it, you know, that's what we're doing. We're keeping it simple. You know, I've got testing. I've, I've been through a bunch of different things, whether it's FRC and all this type of stuff where I'm looking, you know, at other joints doing what the joints are doing. And if not, that's easy. Get your joint doing what it's supposed to do. Right. You break it down, whatever it is. Again, because I ask so many questions because I go through this whole thing, right. It, it makes it pretty much, you know, this is easy. You told me what, you know, where you're at. I tested you and saw this. Now let's work together to get, you told me what your goal was. You told me what motivates you. I got the keys. Now you gave me the goal. Let's go. I, I love the, 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 focusing on the dunk dunking 
and the skill acquisition part as like your, your focus jumping part too, because if we, if we want to tie this all together into the intention piece, it's like, what, what, what are you going to get more output and intention based on? You tell a kid to go do this dunk in this awesome environment where there's a goal or when you tell them to jump on a box. And I actually was dunking with uh, Jake Tura yesterday, he invited me out to this low rim. <laughs> and it's the first time I've actually dunked on a low rim. Um, yeah. And man, it was the, uh, we've, I've been doing dunk training or uh, jump training in like the gym, just some basic like dumbbell jumps and stuff like that. But it's like, now you have a low rim and you're, you're able for the first time to experiment with things and like how much harder you're taking off to try and do this. And you got two guys watching you that are filming you and you don't want to look like an idiot missing your dunks when you're going up for right. something. So like a little pressure, but like the intention that goes behind that, like, yes, like, I woke up this morning. I'm like, Oh man, like I, we didn't even do it for that long. And I was like sore in different places. Yeah. I was like, that was awesome. But like you, you would never get that in the like basic gym environment of I'm going to get your board up, but we're just going to jump on boxes, which I'm I'm sure in some parts has its place. Yes. Like it has its place, yeah. but if in your environment where you're able to tie it all together, you're going to get the kind of the best of both worlds, the creative side and the the ability to explore and the ability to really have that intention output base with the kind of controlled and order side of the one by twenties and building up just that foundational piece. Right. And I don't only use one by 20, you know, I, I kind of go uh, with a little more advanced athletes, you know, I, I'll get a little triphasic. I'll do, you know, I'll throw different stuff at them. It kind of depends on where they're at in their season. And it's tough with basketball players because honestly, they play 12 months out of the year. And it seems like every year they play more and more and more. So it's more about, you know, combating the compensations they're developing from just overuse and how often they play their sport. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, I can write a program. You know, I've read enough books to, to, to write a great program. But when my kid comes in and he had, you know, four double overtime games at an AU tournament the day before, you know, we might just be breathing today. You know, he might just be hanging out. And, and there's times where you're talking about like the, the skill development side. There's times that there's, there's a vibe in the room where kids, oh, I feel bouncy. Like, can we get after it? Yeah. And we might spend 20, 30 minutes finishing above the rim or doing this type of stuff. And there's days where it's a little slower and, you know, it's a little more slow. But I, I try to incorporate, right, if the skill side, because of my knowledge and background with the athletic performance. I think I have an eye for not just the ball. And what I mean, most skill, basketball skill, right? What do they see? They might see the feet, but they're focused on what the ball is doing, right? Where we got a, we got a crossover, right? We got a, a drag, we got, you know, a bat, we got all these different dribble moves and we're working dribble move, dribble move, dribble moves, right? But, but what's the body doing? Are, are we in advent, are we putting ourselves in advantageous positions, right? Are we putting ourselves in the right position that we can actually act on what we perceive? Right. So at the end of the day, we're not the, the game is not dribble to this cone and spin move, dribble to that cone and put it through your legs, go up here and jump off your left foot and finish off your right hand. That's not sport. Right. That's not competition. That is not how the game is played. Now, at a younger level, if I have, you know, real young kids or complete novice, they have no idea how to dribble. So much, some of that stuff might be needed just to get them the reps and a little bit of control of the ball. But as soon as they got that, I'm all for, you know, let, let's create problems and let them solve it. Yeah. Rather than like, like you said, with the cones, you mentioned, I think it was, it was one of your recent posts that you mentioned. It's like, it's almost like with the cones, you're like solving the problem for them. It's like, all right, you're, you're putting the ball here, your hands here and your feet here, you're solving the problem for them. And then you're just having them show the answer rather than like you said, setting up a situation in which they actually have to solve the problem themselves rather than just showing you the answer that you thought was right in the moment. Right. And it's so like, once you start getting into this stuff again, that's why I laugh with a good drill because it's not about the, like, there's so many things that can bring out the, the outcome that we're after. There's so many, you can, once you kind of get out of this cone 
you know, saying this, 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 this ladder and cone and whatever thing, your brain just starts, well, this kid struggles with this. And I think a lot of the other kids do. So how, what can I do to, you know, what, what constraints can I modify, right? That are going to force the adaptation that I'm after, right? And so rather than dribble up to that cone and pull the, pull the ball under your leg, I'll have the kid has the ball and I'll have the defender on his hip. Now I'll start him at half court and you're going to dribble to the, uh, we're going live, right? So you're going to dribble from half court to the three point line at whatever speed you want. But at some point before you score, you need to pull that ball back under your leg. Now it's not go dribble at this cone. It's now I got a defender rearing down on my back trying to take the ball from me. And I got to figure out the right moment to pull that ball between my legs. And then if I, if I'm working finishing, it's then you have, then you have to get to the rim or I'm trying to improve their you know confidence with the three pointer. After you pull that ball under your leg, you have three dribbles to get a shot off. And the defender knows that you have to shoot a three. So he's even overplaying. Right. So I'll play like I'll do stuff like that. I'm just going off the tangent of the tangent here. So I'll go two on two and only three. So the defenders, right, they know you're shooting. You can't drive. So they're all over you. You get good at that. Right. You get good at playing two on two where you're only allowed to shoot three. Tell me that's not going to carry over to the sport. Right. Whereas, you know, little Johnny goes to the court every day and it's not his fault. Right. He goes to court every single day with his dad. and He gets up 2000 jump shots where his dad passes him the ball just him and his dad, right? And he shoots jump shot after jump shot. That's not the sport. That's one aspect of the sport. You might dial in that form, but what are you going to do when your dad's not there passing you the ball? What are you going to do when, you know, you got five guys out of the team and, you know, however many thousand fans or whoever you're going to end up playing or hate you and don't care about your feelings and would rather punch you in the face and let you get that shot off, right? That's the sport, right? And that, those are the kids that I want, right? The kids that want to play at that level. Those are the kids that I, I'm drawn to. They don't all come in like that, but it, it seems to happen pretty quick where they make a transition. Wait, that's, that's fun, right? That's, that's what I'm after. And well, that, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that creation of the small side of games, man, it, 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 it's crazy powerful with kind of the, the, the carryover aspect too. And it, it's cool how much, and you, you were going on a tangent with kind of the, the, the games that you were even able to create, like the, the two v two, three, and the, the, you have to dribble under late and eat the leg, but how much you can really create and work on with something as simple as like the two v two game or a one v one game and how much you can change it up and work on different aspects of the game. And that, that's one of the, the one thing we do with a lot with our football guys and our wide receivers and is creating different situations in which they have to solve that problem. But I, lo- I love, I love just seeing your mind roll with the different ideas of popping up because that's the question that I get is like, well, how do you come up with that environment? How do you come up with it's like it's kind of just watching the watching what's happening and then like, all right, let, let, let's switch this up. All right, maybe we want to have a, the three point focus today. Are we only going to shoot from threes? But how much you can really create from uh, what seemingly like on a piece of paper would look like just two v two, you know, on a piece of paper would look like two v two one for for 30 minutes on a piece of paper that looks super simple, but you could work on so many aspects of your game with the same good drill. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I, I love watching outliers, whether it's Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, LeBron, right. I, I love studying them and seeing what makes them effective. And then, so I take that and like a lot of people will break down these athletes and they'll go step by step. Yeah. But what did you take from it? And how are you going to, so this is what Kevin Durant does, right? Now, do I think all my kids have this, none of my kids are seven feet tall and have any, right. Have any of the things that Kevin Durant, well, some of them are seven feet tall, but they're still not Kevin Durant. Right. But what can I take from that, right? What can what is making him so effective, right? And how can I try to bring some of that stuff out in my athletes? And that takes just a lot. I watch a ton of film. 
I go back with the dairy and bar. We've had a constant conversation for over a year now where we just, you know, we're sending each other videos, we're breaking them down and we're talking. We're just looking for what makes these outliers, you know, so effective. And now it's, again, it's about me creating good drills, right? That are going to try to elicit, uh, elicit um, what we're after. Well, coach, that, that's freaking awesome. I want to get you into rapid fire rounds. I don't take up too much of your day. Uh, and then there's two questions I want to ask you. And the first one is kind of your favorite books. One that I think in the sports performance realm that can kind of take the listeners down the approach that you kind of have, maybe some books that really opened up your eyes. And then secondly, uh, maybe a little bit more of a personal book that you, that you kind of think of that uh, maybe it's that soul searching, maybe it's that mindset, maybe it's a psychological piece. All right. So for strength uh, stuff, I mean, you can't go wrong with uh, Dan, John and Pavel, easy strength. Uh, for, like, if you're a skilled guy that's just trying to get your beak wet into strength. I, and, and even if you're, you know, I could read that book over and over again. Uh, Triphasic by uh, Cal Deese is awesome. And I love that. It really goes through the whole history of, you know, the Soviets and everything and then how kind of weightlifting developed. And he, it's all backed by science. Um, whether you're going to actually run a triphasic model or not, right? It's, I think it's a great book to read. Um, what else? Uh, skill stuff. I love the inner game of tennis. I think anybody can read the inner game of tennis. I read that. I, I actually listened to it first. Then I got the book. Then I got the book from my dad who plays pickleball. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So that book I love. Uh, inner game of tennis for skill. Uh, if you want to go real crazy into skill development, um, it's right here. I got it. So I, I've been reading this book forever. Um, nonlinear pedagogy and skill acquisition. Uh, but that's that's dense for skill stuff. Talent code is good. And then, you know, more business stuff. Uh, the one thing is good. Uh, hyper-focus. Is that enough books? You want more books? Are you- <laughs> no, 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 that's solid. Uh, is there any on the, like the kind of psychological or maybe spiritual that, that, that side of the side of the realm that you read? Well, I, I, I get into work. So I mean, I'm reading the Bible every day. So I kind of, that's what, what I do for that. Um, but I mean, I, I think a lot of those books bring that into it. I think a lot of that. What is the other one? I had another one. Oh, in your, what you sent me before, you're talking about like a lot of people see you or somebody being at the top of the mountain. And uh, one of my favorite quotes, it, it actually reminded me of a book, Jack Kerouac, uh, Dharma Bums, where, uh, where the quote is, when you get to the top of the mountain, keep climbing. And your question was, you know, not, you know, you might, I, I don't feel like I'm at the top of the mountain, right? Maybe some days I do, but more often than not, I'm somewhere on there. You know, it's never ending, you know, and uh, I love that. You know, when you get to the top of the mountain, keep climbing. That's awesome. And the last question of the podcast for you to survive this entire podcast. Uh, what do you kind of want your legacy to be when all this coaching stuff is over, when all the podcasts and all the social media stuff is over? What do you kind of want people to say you accomplished? Yeah, I feel like I, I answered that a lot. And I feel like I got all the way into the podcast and you stumped me with this question because it, it's I, it's not it's not about me. And it's not about, you know, I I, I want people to, you know, one of the coolest things I heard, and I'm going to just steal this from this guy. He, he talks about creating a generational impact on people where they're not just going to remember him for 10 minutes or 10 years that when those people become great grandparents and they have great grandchildren and their great grandchildren. Okay. Ask them, you know, what changed the course of their life. You might remember him, right? Where something I said, like we talked about in early, right? Where something I said changed the course of somebody's life. Right. Where whether it was something performance related that got them to this level or maybe it was something, you know, on a side conversation that I don't remember. But I really go in there, you know, and and that's a high bar to set for myself. But generally, more often than not, 
right? I'm telling myself before I get out of my truck and walk into the gym, something about let me leave a generational impact on these kids. You know, let me show them that they're capable of more than they could ever imagine, right? Let me be somebody that that got something out of them that they didn't know exists, but I saw it before they could, you know, and I don't know what you want to call that, but uh, that's kind of what I'm about. That's freaking awesome, Coach. Coach, thank you for being on the podcast. This energy was awesome. Your story is awesome. And I hope listeners got a lot out of it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This is great. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.